Prepare to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to try to get this mic correct this time because I was bugged by it when I was talking to Steve last night. Um, folks, I felt like I was remiss in not having a second podcast for the, uh, for the week, so we're going to put this out tonight. This is a Friday night episode, and it should carry you through the weekend uh, already recorded about an uh, hour and a half two hours this morning with a uh, with a former FBI agent out of the New York field office who I think you're really going to enjoy hearing so that's going to be prepped up and ready to go first thing on Monday morning but I would be remiss if I didn't uh, put out a little bit more content before the end of the week because it has been a crazy week when it comes to news and things that I have some personal experience with uh, kind of a, just a an overwhelming amount of data and information is out there in the world today. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about, and I hope you stick with us. Uh, we're going to be talking about a, a piece that was written in the Daily Wire that was written by a wonderful reporter named Brandon Dre. Um, we're going to talk about FBI censorship of the media and what they expect when they uh, when they make a public statement and what they expect the media to do with it. I think you're going to want to stick around for that. Um, we're going to talk about this guy named Charles McGonigal. Charles McGonigal is a former special agent in charge of the FBI's New York field office in the counterintelligence division, uh, recently arrested this week. Uh, we've had some long form analysis and you're going to get even more of it, but, um, you know, stick around and you'll see it on Monday that we actually talked to somebody who spent a lot of time working with him. So I feel very confident uh, sharing a little bit of information, including a new article that was just released today that uh, Cash Patel sent me by text, which is funny. Uh, that's just the weird world that I'm living in right now. I got people sending me information from all sides. I also had a couple FBI agents uh, reach out and tell me that this was of note and uh, it probably won't surprise you, but it might disgust you. We're going to talk about a uh, an FBI warrant served uh, for a January 6th defendant that we're going to get into, and I'm actually going to go through line by line in the complaint. I want you to understand what it says and how weak the allegation is and what a pathetic turn of events I think this is for the FBI and for, for, for Americans in general who want to support law enforcement but are challenged with the way that this kind of stuff goes down. Um, all those things coming up, but I want to lead off with something that happened uh, yesterday, I believe. Uh, the Joe Rogan Experience, which is obviously the king of the podcast world. I have been a fan of Joe Rogan for a long time, like so many others. I really appreciate that there is an interesting intersection that he has that is between um, self-effacing, you know, conversational tone and the fact that he is like just a raw physical human being that has, you know, just an unbelievably powerful leg kick. And he's just a he's a you know, physical specimen that's fought at a very high level. And that's not what he made his fame on to a lot of people. And so there is an interesting need and desire. I feel like in this country for like man's men having conversation with other people. So this is one of those conversations. Um, he spoke with a guy named Mike Glover. Many of you will be familiar with Mike Glover, but he's the founder of Fieldcraft Survival. You'll see on his hat that he's wearing. Um, Mike has also been someone that I reached out to very early on as a whistleblower when I when I was going to Congress because his name was directly implicated in one of the documents that I exposed. And moreover, his company was being maligned, and that bothered me at a very high level. Um, I have a ton of respect for what Mike Glover did. He spent uh, 20 plus years in uh, in the Army as a Green Beret. He retired from the uh, the special forces as a, uh, a sergeant major. So that's an E9. That's going to be the highest rank that you're going to be able to be as an enlisted guy. And he put it all on the line for this country in many ways. I know people that are in the SF community and nobody has a bad word to say about him other than, you know, he's out there grabbing publicity, which is kind of uh, the opposite of what a lot of people do. But I can't put any fault on the guy. And uh, when it comes to one being a man of his word, he's been that to me. 
Two, he's offered some really sage advice, which I will share with you after this video. And uh, and three, he was targeted by a, a, you know our company, our country rather, uh, which which he worked on behalf of his entire adult life. So he spent all of his time as you know twenty plus you know twenty years old and on uh, in the army, and then got out and actually re-upped and went into the CIA as a contractor. So paid by the CIA to go do security work, which they do probably for GRS if my memory serves, but I don't want to swear to it. And uh, you know, and then Mike came back and did the American Dream. He turned his training and experience and capitalized on that and turned it into a a training company that teaches civilians and military and law enforcement how to be more efficient and more survive. For survivable and sort of dangerous incidents. He created this uh, group called the American Contingency, which is what is at odds with the uh, the FBI censorship. And um, so I'm going to share with you this little clip from Rogan only because I think it tells his story and I do want to shed more light on it. You can find the 15 minute clip in my Twitter profile. It's one of the uh, it's one of the tweets that I did yesterday. And uh, moreover, you can find it on YouTube, obviously under powerful JRE, which is their uh, for 14 million subscriber strong YouTube piece. Uh, looks like it's got about 63,000 views, which is a little bit light. Um, maybe that actually needs to be re- refreshed. So maybe a lot more than that. Uh, but moreover, uh, it's on the long form that you can find on Spotify. So those of you who listen to Rogan, I had like 10 people reach out to me and said, I heard your name on Joe Rogan. It's always kind of funny how much reach that man has. And it is actually pretty incredible. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to play uh, Mike Glover in his own words. And I'll tell you some of the things that he shared with me that I thought were really impactful as well. So let's see if we can bring this sucker up. And here we go, and here we play. And he is a domestic terrorist. And we cannot free up this account because he's been labeled a domestic terrorist. How that got determined was likely from the FBI telling everybody, but it still exists today. I mean, it's, it, today it still exists, and so I'm walking on eggshells. So you today are listed as a domestic terrorist. A domestic, on Facebook, on which translates to Instagram, I am listed as a domestic terrorist. I have the screen grab from the from that conversation from Team India. Ireland was managing my account when it originally got deleted. They offboarded to India, which obviously there's going to be cultural issues there. I am still labeled a domestic terrorist group with American contingency, and myself labeled that as well. Now, when they do this, do they have to point to any one specific thing that you guys are advocating? Like, how can they just say you're a domestic terrorist because you're telling people how to travel from Arizona to Canada and one tank of gas and how, you know, to treat wounds and how to deal with a one-on-one combat situation? Like, how, what, don't they have to have one thing they can point to? Well, Mike Glover said this, so this puts him in that category. There was some analysis done um, from Kyle Serafin, who, when he did this, he uh, he screen grabbed some stuff, and it looks like it was just this analyst said it. He was actually rebutted by some guys that I know in the FBI, likely hostage rescue guys that I work with overseas, like good dudes. I mean, the FBI hostage rescue teams are, are great guys, but it was likely told and communicated through some kind of agreement between Facebook and the FBI where they say, hey, here's the blacklist. And I can't prove this, but this is Kyle thinks the same thing. Here's the blacklist. Blacklist all these guys and all these organizations because they're potentially extremist. I think that's uh, 
enough of what we're talking about here. So there's a couple little clarification points on here that I think are worth mentioning. Um, I have a ton of respect for Mike. One of the things that Mike told me when I went public, because I was a private person for most of my life and I didn't have any interest in being a public person, this is not the way that I saw my life going, but that's okay. Uh, I asked him how he deals with the haters and the people that uh, that are obviously going to be naysayers, the sort of death threats, the, the people that are going to come at you because you're doing something that you think is correct. And uh, he said, man in the arena. And for those of you who are not familiar with the uh, Teddy Roosevelt speech, I encourage you to go look it up on your own and read it wholesale. If you can find a recording of it, do that as well. Um, and But it, the essential point is, is that the man in the arena deserves all the credit, all the blame, and has all the... Um, has all of the risk and all the reward when it comes to being involved in difficult actions that uh, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the dirt is on his face and no one else's. And so no one else can speak what it's like unless they are the man in the arena. Um, Sage advice from someone who's been in the real fight. So what Mike is talking about is that the FBI put his company uh, listed it as a militia violent extremist on a document that was exposed uh, famously by Project Veritas, but was also sent directly to Congress. And uh, we sent it to a lot of people, like a ton of members of the Re- Republican side of Congress, so that Chris Ray could answer questions about what was going on. Uh, Jim Jordan's office out of the House Judiciary last year, I believe it was in August, um, actually published a letter, might have been September published a, uh, a letter and sent it over to Chris Ray saying, you got the wrong guy. Like this guy is an American patriot. And so he was named by that. I was able to share that with Mike, you know, just before it went over. So he knew that was coming. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I love what Mike Glover's about. I think that his decision to try to help people be capable and to uh, be involved in, you know, self-preservation is really important. It's a thing that if you're not, you know, he, he always says, be your own first responder. There's some other people that have said, nobody's coming. It's up to us. Both of those are very true statements. And, you know, so companies that teach training and survival that share that military aspect without anyone having served in it is incredibly important. So he's doing really important work, I believe. So long and short of it is when we've got this situation where the FBI is labeling American patriots that way, they're labeling people like my buddy Steve Friend and I and my friend GOB, then uh, you know we can't trust that organization. It's not making good uh, recommendations, and those recommendations are potentially dangerous, and they are disruptive to our lives, and they could be disruptive to your lives. So I recommend, once again, don't talk to the FBI if they knock on your door. We're going to get into that a little bit further. I do want to give a little quick update. Um, my buddy Steve Friend said that uh, when he was doing his interview yesterday, they asked him to submit a request for outside employment and he did and he was given a call by the office of the uh, i think general counsel called back or whoever internal counsel and they called back and told steve that uh two things number one they were not going to approve his request for outside employment so um i'm sure he's going to go ahead with it anyway but moreover they said that he was limited to seventy five hundred dollars total for a year that he could earn in outside employment And I just want you to consider that the FBI has pulled his paycheck. He's at 125 days or 130 days at this point. You know, I'm at 280 and change. And they would not approve because they believe that they have some sort of say on that. And the fact of the matter is, is, you know, if you're a grown man and you have a family, you're going to do whatever needs to be done so that they eat and that they that your mortgage is paid and that you don't lose your credit rating. So um, it's amazing that that's the kind of organization we're talking about. But that is the kind of organization we're talking about. And uh, as kind of a great example of that, I want to show you this uh, kind of disgusting tweet or uh, this is off True Social. So I'm going to transfer back over here. This is off True Social. Uh, I don't know the person that tweeted this out, but I did go ahead and validate that these these pictures are legit. 
Um, this is a, an individual who's on, on truth known as uh, J six Patriot. And I'll have to reread his name, but um, I believe his name is Robert. And so he was arrested by the Bureau and, you know, these are the FBI agents that were involved in it. And you'll notice that this female here is dressed uh, in apparently like her most favorite workout clothes. Um, you've got a guy here with his hands in his pockets, clearly a high risk environment for him to be wearing that plate carrier. You've got this kind of doofusly looking dude who got some brand new body armor, but he looks like a kind of a not impressive individual. And then this guy is Dave uh, Gottlieb and he's the supervisor of the squad. Uh, so he's the supervisor on, on, on hand and he doesn't appear to be wearing body armor either. So that's fun. Um, this is the nicest house that you would ever see outside of a white collar case. And this is not a white collar case. This is theoretically like a violent extremist case. Um, we're going to get into like pretty much right away. I'm going to get us into the discussion of what's going on here, but I wanted to show you this. This is his arrest photo. And if you'll focus in underneath his right eye, it's on the left side of that photo closest to me. It appears that he's got a black eye. I've got some questions about how that happened. And I'd be really sad to find out that the Bureau was involved in making it so, but he doesn't look, uh, he doesn't look like he's having a great time. And as you can imagine, when somebody comes into your home first thing in the morning, it's not fun. Um, having been on the, the search and arrest part of that side, I'm sure it's terrifying. And if you're just a guy who lives in a house that looked like that, you know, there he is right there. Shameless plug for our friend uh, Cash Patel uh, with this fight with Cash. Uh, he is very, he's very involved in this, this ongoing evil. Um, you can see they're even reading his book. That's Cash's book, The Plot Against the King. So that's kind of amazing. Um, just truly sad stuff. Uh, so we're going to bring up here. I'm going to go through. This is the complaint, the criminal complaint uh, for uh, Robert William DeGregoris. And I hope I pronounced his name correctly. I'm sorry about that, Robert, if I didn't. And it uh, sounds like they called him uh, Dad Bod Bob or something horrible like uh, these sedition hunter clowns. I'm going to just be reading through this complaint and tell you. But the most important things on here, first of all, it was sworn out on January 6th and it was executed in the last two days, which is to say they waited almost 20 days. That's kind of interesting. Um, moreover, you'll look at the, uh, the, the, the offense codes that are out here in the description. This is 18 U.S.C. 231 and then 1752 in various capacities and then 50, uh, 40 U.S.C. Uh, 5004. The civil disorder, this is going to be entering, remaining on restricted bounds, disorderly conduct on disorder, uh, restricted grounds, and then engaging in physical violence in a restricted building or grounds and then impeding passage to the Capitol. Okay, fine. So let's scroll through this thing and talk about it a little bit. There's your judge right there, Zia uh, Furukwai. I don't know who that is, but it's unfortunate. Um, I also would like you to notice that big black space, they, uh, for those of you who are just listening, they blacked out and redacted the name of the FBI agent who swore out this document. I don't know why that is, because that person has to publicly testify. It's kind of disgusting to me. Um, if you file a complaint, it's a public document. This one also says your affiant, which is the, a special agent um, on the Washington field office, CT4. CT4, if you remember, is also the same squad where we saw that uh, Ashley, I think Ashley Roberts and um, that other guy that I took pictures on. If you go to my Twitter, you can find pictures of them. But CT4 is the domestic terrorism task force um, that exists at uh, the Washington field, which is my old office. All right. So everybody has this kind of like statement of facts paragraph. It just kind of says why you're there. Oh, actually, this one, in this case, this is actually as an FBI TFO. So we're actually seeing right there, and I'll, I'll highlight it for you, as an FBI TFO. So this means this this uh, criminal complaint was actually sworn out by not an FBI agent. What? I don't get it. I, you know what? I think there's a procedural error in here. It says your affiant is a special agent uh, with the FBI assigned to this. 
as a special agent, my duties are this. I'm currently assigned as an FBI TFO. One of those things can be true. They both can't be. Well, that's fun. So this shows you how closely the judge read this. It says that this person is a special agent in the FBI. And then it also says that they're a TFO in the same freaking paragraph. I'm pissed right now because this is the sort of level of uh, scrutiny that's going on in D.C. when we talk about these things. I'm, I'm totally disgusted by this. Um, they're going to give you a background. So let's look how long the background is. It's most of the first page. It's uh, some of the second page. And then they're going to give you some facts about this guy, uh, about Robert. Um, they're saying that his Twitter account was Dad Bob Bob, Sovereign Patriot. And uh, that uh, what you're seeing in these photos is that uh, that's depicting him took some pepper spray and tear gas breaching the front doors, but it was worth it. That's his tweet. That's a picture a caption there. Um, they went ahead and served some criminal process on uh, his associated email address. They got uh, court orders to get that from Twitter. So they got the email. They went to Verizon. They got a subscriber information. Um, they got his address and so on and where he lived, uh, which is in Virginia. It's in Aldi, Virginia, which is outside of D.C., they uh, compared some law enforcement notes. They went after the, the Google LLC pursuant to their geofence warrant. So they used the geofence. I think that's worth noting. Uh, that was part of it. They obtained some information from the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, which is the uh, the DC Metro uh, transport uh, tra trains and stuff. So they got his transit card and found out where he was associated, which means he probably traveled into work in DC, uh, or at least he did sometimes. Uh, they're documenting whether or not, you know, he went in from a certain station, which would have uh, aligned with where he lived. That all makes sense that he got off at a place that was appropriate for him to get to the Capitol and listen to the speech. That all makes sense. Um, the, uh, the MTA, uh, or MATA, uh, gave him, gave photographs from their uh, surveillance stuff and from their travel card processing. Uh, and then it says, based on my interview of DeGregoris, I believe that the individual protected in the photographs from the W A W M A T A is DeGregoris. Below is one of these photographs. So then we see a photograph of him going through the turnstiles. He's wearing a red puffy vest. He's got some kind of a sticker on his chest. He's got some kind of like either a hoodie on or maybe a neck gaiter and a, uh, some sunglasses and a baseball cap that appears to be camouflage. So they describe that. That's what we do. This is, this is pretty standard stuff for a criminal complaint as far as like trying to establish the person is that person. Um, for example, it says law enforcement identified a public YouTube video known as public video one depicts DeGregoris uh, De uh, entering the area of the tunnel. That's going to be what we're going to be talking about in a second here. Uh, video was viewed on November 9th of 2022. So that's relatively fresh. Okay. We've got a public video showing the outside of this tunnel uh, known as public video one, according to this shows him with a, a black neck gator. Uh, it does appear to be the same guy. It looks like he's actually wearing a hoodie. I wouldn't say it's a neck gator. looks like a hoodie that is uh, underneath his baseball cap. Uh, you know, probably, probably Robert. And he's standing on the far right-hand corner of the frame, uh, that's circled for those of you who are not watching our, um, our uh, rumble. But if you do, I think it's, uh, you can see it. And then moreover, I would say, if you haven't seen it, go ahead and check this out later on. So you can timestamp it and come back here. Um, we are looking at this in the probably 15 minute range and on. So there's a timestamp for you. Then it shows a really, really crappy body cam footage that seems to show somebody wearing red, but it's not necessarily the same guy because I don't see him wearing the hat. Pretty sketch. The body cam footage is not always super high definition. So um, they're claiming that that is him. I think that could be argued actually based on what we're seeing here. Um, then we see this something, and I think this is absolutely nuts. It says approximately five seconds after arriving at the tunnel. By the way, this is like motion video that they've stalled out and they're doing screen grabs of. 
um, from January 6th of 2021. Uh, they claim, five seconds after arriving at the tunnel, uh, De Gregorius, is that what it is? De Gregorius, yeah, maybe. De Gregorius can be seen on CCTV footage. Uh, nearest The nearest MPD officer below is a still image from a CCT camera. It's zoomed in, and then it says on uh, page seven, they've got a picture of basically like God knows what, a melee. It's, it's very, very difficult to say who is what. And now they're going to claim that at approximately 4.01 p.m., <laughs> the CCTV footage depicts uh, De Gregorius possibly striking the helmet of the nearest officer. This is the only violence charge. That's the felony. Possibly. I'm looking at this. Man, he might be uh, pushed. That might not even be him. It is almost impossible to tell from this footage. And it looks like there's a couple of sticks in the way, like some riot batons are in the way. Those look like they're up against the, the officer's helmet. He could be reaching. There is no way to determine that there is contact with that officer at that exact second. There is no way you could say that there's probable cause to believe that that's happening. That is absurd. And anybody who is arguing it is coming from a predetermined you know, conclusion it's just wild to me. It's When you see the video, you guys should check it out. It's absolutely awful. The footage is grainy and trash, and you have no idea who's doing it. Then it shows that there's going to be some uh, OC spray, uh, which is the pepper spray. That's being sprayed down. They said that he turned his head away, maybe, uh, and you can see the back of his baseball cap. I can't confirm that the person who's turned away is the same body with the same arm that's near the officer's head, and I don't think anybody else could either. They're, I think they're they're falsifying this in a big way, uh, either the agent or the TFO, because we don't know which one, because this is a garbage complaint. Right off the bat, it's just, you know, there's typos in it in the first paragraph. All right. Uh, despite being sprayed with OC, he stayed around, continued to push other rioters against the front line for several minutes. And then this may be the other allegation of, like, uh, violence, but they said that you know, he turned his back towards the front line. He pushed against like he was like, you know, trying to do like a rugby scrum that a rider next to him uh, sprayed the officers with pepper spray back. So they're claiming that somebody sprayed, but it wasn't him. So why would that matter? Nobody knows who that was. Some guy that's got like a American flag uh, face gator mask on who I feel like I've seen before and I don't think has been arrested, uh, but is obviously like spraying pepper spray back on the cops who are all stuck in this tunnel. And then uh, Degori- uh, De Gregorius assisted other rioters by helping push a ladder towards the MPD officers. Well, why were they pushing the ladder? I don't know. And neither do you not from this picture. And it's not alleged what that was. Was that an assault? Were they trying to get the ladder out of the way so that nobody could climb up for safety, you know, passing it over the top of MPD heads Were they trying to use it as a weapon. Was it a battering ram? Uh, unclear, not charged. And then, so it says on April 26th, I, along with other members of law enforcement interviewed De Gregorius at his residence I showed De Gregorius the Twitter post from Sovereign Patriot detected above, and he said, I don't know what that is, and otherwise denied recognizing the post. Based on my observations of De Gregorius' physical appearance during this interview, I believe that he is, in fact, the video, the, the individual in the video. So he didn't admit to it. They came and they interviewed him in April of last year. Let's be real clear about that. And then they, uh, they decided that they were going to push this thing forward in January so what, eight months later, just, just brilliant. And so he submits in this, um, they submit here that there's a probable cause to believe that he violated 18 USC 231, which makes it unlawful to obstruct or impede or interfere with a fireman or a law enforcement officer lawfully engaged in the pursuit of their duties. Okay. 
Um, and then we're going to go down to the 18 uh, USC 1752 charges under uh, Section Alpha, and it's going to be one, two, and four are the paragraphs making a crime to knowingly enter the restricted grounds, to knowingly impede uh, orderly conduct, and uh, also there's this engaging in physical violence against any person or property in restricted buildings or grounds. Uh, they say for the purposes of this statute that a restricted building in, in air quotes uh, includes uh, posted cordoned off or otherwise restricted area of a building or grounds where the president or other persons protected by the Secret Service, including the vice president, is or temporarily be visiting and that any building or grounds so restricted in conjunction with an event designated as a special event of national significance. So let's talk about that for a little bit, because I didn't know that was in this until I read this complaint with you right now. This event that happened on January 6th of 2021 should have been, by all rights, designated as an NSSE. That's a National Special Security Event. That's exactly what they just said down there by Special Event of National Significance. DC has tons of those. They have them every 4th of July for the parades. They have them every State of the Union. They have them for every inauguration. There's a, probably a bunch that I don't remember. I've been called to them. I've worked them. They are a full court press by law enforcement of Capitol Police, of DC Metro PD, of the FBI, of the Secret Service, of anybody at DHS, of sometimes the Coast Guard. There is a huge rollout. The Department of Energy gets involved for uh, nuclear sweeps with their NEST team. It is a big, big deal, um, but it's very common, too because it's DC and they have these kind of events. The fact that this actually was not designated as a, an NSSE, a national special security event, is telling. So I don't even know if the statute makes any damn sense, but I know that it was not designated one because when they had those, I never got times off. And I was on personal leave on January 6th. I was training with a bunch of cops. Um, the final piece here is that the affiant says that there's probable cause to believe that he violated uh, 40 USC, which is the last one, which says, you know, knowingly and willfully obstructing or repeating uh, passage on the grounds of the Capitol building, um, impeding passage through or with the grounds. I mean, shoot, I guess the cops were guilty of that as well. Once again, we see that we have a blacked out piece there. Uh, this is a nauseating situation. And I just think you people need to understand that like Robert De Gregorius is a political prisoner at this point because of what is said. And I would full heartedly, uh, you know, disagree with this. And if they actually asked me to come and say it, I would swear this in court that the fact that it was not an NSSE should have been a big deal. And uh, no reasonable person is going to be able to say without a shadow of a doubt. And, and I don't even think even with probable cause, which is a much lighter burden. I don't think that you could say that the person that was maybe touching that helmet was the same person as they showed earlier on. It's really weak. And it goes to show you that they're willing to have procedural filing errors where we've got a a typo in the first a typo or what it is it's it's copy and paste all of these things are copy and paste so they didn't even correct the paragraph um appropriately just bizarre and truly sad um the more we dig into the january 6th events the more sad i am about how they're done it's just really awful it's sad on every level and um it's disgusting that our country got to this point um I'm going to transfer back over here. We're going to talk about Brandon Dre. I got to just digest that for a second because that actually nauseates me. I'm going to be tweeting about this shortly, I guess. So uh, some of you will see the tweets before you see our our, uh, our show. That's okay. Um, you'll be aware of what I'm talking about because I'm going to put these things out with some screen grabs. All right. So Brandon Dre is a reporter with The Daily Wire. He covers a range of national, state, and local topics, primary focus, human interests, public corruption. He uh, reached out to me on Twitter 
and uh, I engaged with him for a couple of uh, interviews for uh, a while. He's got you know a couple of hours worth of conversation with me at this point, and he agreed to write a piece that we're going to show here. So I will tag him in the show notes. But Brandon Dre, there he is. He's written a couple others since then. But uh, most importantly here for me is this particular story about Chris Ray summons the Bureau Jet to the D.C. area airport to dodge traffic. Whistleblower. Uh, you can imagine who that person is. That's me. So we're talking about a $60 million aircraft. If you wanted to go buy one of the public market, the cheapest ones that you can buy are 11 12 $15 million, something like that. And he, what he does, this is Chris Ray's habit. This is explained to me by members of the security detail and his public affairs group. Um, Chris Ray has the jet fly from Manassas, Virginia to DC Reagan, Reagan's airport, which is uh, just, it's in Arlington. It's just shy of being in DC itself. It's about a 30 or 35 mile direct shot. It's, um, you know, can be 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how traffic goes. If you're out on what's called I-66, which is the main vein that goes in east and west into Washington, D.C., and it goes in through a lot of the uh, the parts of Fairfax County and Alexandria and so on and so forth. Um, Arlington, Crystal City, I don't know why I'm, I used to live there. So this is a, an area I used to have to drive, and I used to work at that Manassas Airport. So that's worth noting. Number one, I can verify 100% that the FBI jet lives out there at Manassas Regional Airport. They have a hangar. It is an overt hangar. It is attributed to the FBI's CERG program, known as the Critical Incident Response Group. They've got a couple of planes, and uh, and that's where they're out of. And we we're out of a different location, but I was very close by. So he gets this jet to fly. Well, how do we know that? So Daily Wire did the research, and uh, Brandon Dre specifically, he got them to buy $1,200 worth of records, which go back three years on a system called FlightAware. And every time that a, a, uh, a jet or a, an aircraft in... Uh, American airspace goes up. It has a tail number associated with it. And with the tail number, you're able to tell uh, its travel plans, where it went, where it landed, what altitude it's at. All these reportings that go on in the transponder are all reported almost in real time through the FAA. And you can get access to this stuff. So we've got about 140 instances since 2020. Now, Ray's been the director since something like August of 2017. So there's more to this. But 140 documented trips between Manassas and Reagan. Those are all Chris Ray decisions. Those are nobody else. That's his pattern of behavior, as told to me by people who work in that uh, close detail for protection of him. And when you do that, you're you're going to incur costs. First of all, those of you who know anything about aircraft and um, you know, I'm not an expert, but I am an air traffic controller, which is probably more than many of you. I got that uh, certification through the Air Force. I understand that the most expensive time, that's the reason why we climb and maintain altitude as fast as possible when we give directions off the uh, off the runway. The, the most expensive time to fly a jet is when it's climbing to altitude and when it's descending from altitude. The travel altitude is the most efficient. So... This is the least efficient flight you could possibly do. It's anywhere between 13 and 30 minutes long. And he flies up, uh, you know, the, or the pilots rather fly up from Manassas. They do a small turn, they enter the pattern, and then they land at DCA. Every time they touch down, my source told me that it was $1,000 each time they touch down. But Brandon actually called up, uh, and I don't know that he would know. Brandon actually called up DCA and asked them what it costs for the government, you know, waiver system which there's a waiver. It's normally way more expensive than this, but it's $2,500 to land a government jet at DCA every single time it touches down. So we're looking at these, uh, you know, at least 2,500 times 140. Um, and that's 
in the neighborhood of like $350,000 for just these last three years. That's just runway fees. Now you got to figure out what, it, what the wear and tear on the jet is. Um, I've talked to people who own private jets and there's an appreciation and a depreciation rather of the asset as you use the airframe. There's a maintenance program that is built based on hours and also on touchdowns and landings because those are the most uh, rigorous and that's where you drive the most amount of uh, uh, fuel burning and so on. So you're going to be putting the most amount of stress on the frame. So all of these things are costing money. He says here 124 were directly to or from Reagan National Airport. These are all Chris Ray flights. Once again, you're talking $300,000, $350,000. So they have an estimate here that the cost for uh, you know fuel per hour is roughly seven to ten thousand, uh, seven to eleven thousand um, dollars when you're when you're operating your your Gulfstream that holds sixty thousand. It re- burns roughly five hundred gallons an hour. They give you some sources and some ideas. I've been told that those costs are actually pretty generous and that they could be far worse. You also have to usually do insurance, which I'm sure the bureau doesn't have. But you got to play a flight crew. You've got to have these people, you know, be able to. Uh, have crew rest because they can only fly so many hours. So anyway, there's a lot of costs associated with this outside the actual hard costs of moving the aircraft up and down. But I want you to get an idea that we are talking about a significant amount of money in the last three years and probably even more money over the last five years since Chris Ray is a director. So all those things, I have no reason to believe that any of those things that I just said are false. I believe they're all accurate. They've all been reported by me uh, to the chief of staff for Josh Howley's office directly after he had testimony with Ray in the Senate. So here's what's fun. As is typical for a journalist, Brandon reached out to the FBI's public affairs office or the national press office, as they call it, and asked them for a comment on these informations. And their answer was a long form paragraph, basically denying everything. So he just said the FBI, you know, denies all these claims. That's what they said. Um, Amusingly, this piece went out. I tweeted it. I moved it to the number of followers, probably folks like you who walked, you know, watched it and, and retweeted it and moved it around. And it had, you know, 40,000 plus, you know, reads and click throughs um, in, you know, the first couple hours that it was out there. So that's a pretty good piece for a daily, you know, daily traffic for Daily Wire. And I'm happy that it moved Brandon's needle a little bit. What's funny is he got a phone call from the FBI, which he came and told me. And he also told me that he was going to get epstein So um, Brandon Dre does not appear to be a suicidal person. Just letting you know, he's uh, he's OK. Um Brandon Dre got a phone call from the FBI's national press office and they complained to him that he didn't print their entire statement and they were upset about it. I want you to think about the audacity of a federal government that believes they have the ability to dictate when and where and how a independent press corps uh, chooses to report a story and what they include in it, including whether they quote something all the way or not when it's just a flat denial of, of lies which is what the FBI's national press office was involved in. That's a lie, because uh, all these things happen. That's crazy to me, and I think it should be crazy to you. I think you should be concerned that this guy over here, this dude uh, with the hand in the air that looks like he's about to take a bowel movement in his suit, wearing a blue tie, um, that's not bureau blue, that's leftist blue, and he is an entitled limousine liberal type, and shame on him. Like, really just disgusting. And in the meantime, me and my friends, who he said he backs whistleblowers 100%, have been left without a paycheck. I just, I cannot get over that stuff. I, it's just too much, but it is all out there in the world. So uh, now you have that in your in your head. I want you to be aware that we're talking a lot of things that are FBI, but God, it's so, it's so necessary to just talk about how gross it is. Uh, we're gonna get into uh, McGonagall here next. So, okay, so who is this? Charles McGonagall. I'm gonna actually show you guys something. This is funny. I listen to Dan Bongino's podcast the same way you guys do. And I drew this flow chart 
okay? Um, you're not seeing it, but I did a description of it on a online spaces the other day. So I'm going to describe this flow chart, which is the way that Bongino laid it out. And I think there's a lot of uh, credible information in here. And uh, I haven't heard anybody rebut it, including the researchers that are deep, deep, deep into this Russiagate. Uh, and then also this sort of uh, interesting indictment of McGonagall. All right. So Charles McGonagall, who is he? He was an FBI agent. He was hired in, uh, shoot, I've got his resume up here. Uh, he was hired by the FBI in 1996. He was assigned to the New York field office. He did uh, Russian counterintelligence. He was supposedly part of the TWA flight. I've actually got his own like narrative resume, so we're just going to go off it. Um, did a couple of things uh, that were interesting. He did some deployments with the rapid deployment team, which is why he knew my buddy Steve Gray. Uh, once again, tune in Monday to hear Steve. Um, he was involved in the embassy bombings that were in Kenya and uh, uh, Tanzania. He was uh, supposedly the original case agent or one of the original case agents for the New York uh, Russian illegals counterintelligence investigation, which uh, was taken down in 2010. It's known as codename ghost stories. If you're not familiar with the ghost stories, uh, captioned investigation by the FBI, check it out. It was a, a, an interesting one. I've had the briefing like four times. It's actually kind of boring to me right now. This was the inspiration for the TV show on AMC. I think it was AMC, uh, called the Americans. It's not nearly as sexy as what really went on. They were basically Russian embeds that had snuck into this country and were living illegally uh, as Russians, but uh, you know, sort of listed themselves as something else. And they were waiting to be operational, but they never got operational. But we learned a lot of tradecraft out of it. And the FBI's made most of this stuff unclassified because they briefed it. They've done some TV shows on it. It was a, you know, a good PR thing. Um, some of the things they did were like dead drops of cash, you know, resupplies and things like that because they weren't actually living on the local economy. They were spending money and they were feeling pretty good about being American. And so uh, the Russians actually paid them pretty handsomely. Uh, with a bunch of like, you know, just l liquid infusions of cash uh, that will become very interesting later on. So, you know, he goes on, he works at FBI headquarters. He was actually uh, the unit chief for global counterintelligence and, and worked over the top uh, every single day with my uh, my new friend, Stephen Gray, who is a retired supervisory special agent. Again, Monday's podcast. Check that out. And, um, you know, he worked with Gray. He was, you know, back and forth. He worked on the WikiLeaks task force, a whole bunch of stuff. If you guys wanted, I can put a, a link to this thing in the description. If you ask, I'll put it in the comments, maybe, because I don't know if it cares. It matters that much. He was an ASAC in Baltimore, which is just a subset of Washington, D.C. Um, that's how close Baltimore is to D.C. and to the Washington field office. And then he ended up getting promoted around. Um, he was at the Washington field office for a little while, and he was a supervisor along the espionage squad with another guy who you'll recognize, and his name is Peter Strzok. So he's on the left side of my diagram out here if you're looking. Um, you know, Peter Strzok, who also slept with Lisa Page. He was then uh, buddies and worked underneath Andy McCabe. Andy McCabe was the ASAC, the assistant special agent in charge, is a GS-15. McGonagall was the GS-14. And... Um, yeah, so that's who he's palling around with. He eventually gets uh, back and forth to headquarters and he gets promoted to the special agent in charge. That's an SES position above GS-15. He was the special agent in charge of the counterintelligence division at New York, at the New York field office. And he was appointed there by none other than James Comey, who we'll all remember was part of this whole thing. So, sorry about that. I had to cough. When we talk about, uh, this guy, this is his friends. These are his sensibilities. The media on the left has been trying to portray like he was one of Trump's guys. And, uh, per Steve gray, that is absolutely false that he was from a left-leaning family. His dad was a big, uh, union worker and supported left-leaning politics his whole life. So Democrat type and, uh, clearly not a Trump supporter, but he was also known for like wanting to shake everybody's hands and be everybody's buddy, which is kind of how you get to the top. It's also kind of weird because a lot of the people, once they get up there, don't want to be involved in um, dealing with other people. It's just pretty common. FBI 
you know, senior supervisors think they're above it. Moreover, apparently he never disciplined his direct supports, but he would hold on to that in his back pocket and then use them for favors later. And that's not a good thing, but that is a crafty thing to do, which will lead us to how he was eventually caught. So he's tied on the right-hand side of my diagram by receiving 80000 65000 and 80000 Again, that's $225,000 in cash in brown paper bags handed over from person A. Person A is a senior retired Albanian intelligence officer who was associated with person B. Person B was involved in bribes and uh, and probably with uh, CEFC, which is a Chinese energy conglomerate. And all those things connected uh, McGonagall to this prime minister of Albania. And the Albanian prime minister uh, was apparently lobbying for McGonagall to, to get DOJ to work against one of his political rivals. And, uh, and they did that. And so he did those things. He received $225,000 while he was the, the um, special agent in charge of the counterintelligence program in New York. That is easily the, either the biggest or the second biggest counterintel division in the, in the FBI, maybe only second to Washington field. And it is pretty incredible because he had access to everything. He had access to the raw FISAs. He had access to all the sources that we were working against the Russians. He had access to all of the cases that were done, the targets, any FISA, any of the, uh, you know, the, the, the secret warrants that were out there, all this stuff. I may have said some of those things twice, but it's incredible that a guy who had that kind of access was taking cash and uh, no business person in the world takes cash in any way, shape or form. So uh, Steve Gray, again, Monday's interview said that he believes that there should be some espionage charges or that there are some spying type activities that he could have been compromising the United States intelligence community. Very high possibility that that's what's going on with that kind of money. Those are the kind of money amounts we would see in transactional espionage. So be aware. That's what's going on. Here's what's funny. He's tied in with these uh, Albanians. There was some corruption in Albania that had to do with Hunter Biden. Um, Hunter Biden, amusingly, also is tied to this guy because their kids apparently played soccer together as uh, unearthed by the uh, the Marco Polo Foundation, which has been doing a lot of digging on on the laptop from hell that Miranda Devine kind of put out there. So if we're talking about this, apparently his kids play soccer in either the same league or on the same team. That's not to say that they were buddies. It just shows you the kind of circles that he was running in. And um, it was McGonagall's wife, Pamela, who was loaded in these emails going back and forth, who was also you know, CCing Hunter. Uh, Hunter was tied to CEFC for a number of reasons, but most notably that there was a guy named Patrick Ho who was convicted of, none other than bribery, in places like Chad and Uganda, and uh, it seems like he was some ties to Albania. Uh, he was also... He also put Hunter on as his attorney for a $1 million retainer. He was on paper. I don't think Hunter actually did any work. Obviously, Hunter is very well connected right now. We know to his dad, Joe Biden. So that's a big deal. The other probability that uh, that uh, I think is worth noting is that there's a serious problem with Albania's uh, narco trafficking state. They seem to be looking the other way and working in conjunction with the Sinaloa cartel, uh, which is a, one of the big players on our southern border. And uh, it doesn't seem like the Biden administration is all that concerned about that. So there are some serious allegations that need to be fleshed out. These are data points. They are not smoking guns, but there's an awful lot of smoke. And there is some fire here, including receiving a significant amount of cash while you are making at least that much money for the federal government in a, a bonus structure driven SES position at the New York field office. Tragically bad stuff. And I'm pretty confident. I, I put it on Twitter. Nobody's corrected me. I think this is the highest ranking, the highest level FBI um, agent that has ever been compromised or notably compromised in this sort of situation. So we got a lot of questions. We're going to have to find out the answers as they come forward. It's uh, it's definitely a big deal. And then we dropped this. So let's, let's talk, talk about this. Um, 
I'm actually in a, a signal group that my friends call Sex BI because there's so many sexual scandals that happen inside of the FBI. Um, at the senior executive level, I don't know why, but it doesn't seem like people can keep it in their pants. And so Peter Strzok is by no exception. Um, we've made some allegations to Congress that uh, credible sources have, sh- have shared with us, and we can back up names and, and things like that. But the uh, even the deputy director of our current FBI, whose name is uh, Paul Abate, has... Um, Got a girlfriend, or at least a former girlfriend, who was an FBI employee, which should be a violation of policy. That should have gotten run out on its own. But he had her showing up, uh, or not showing up, rather, for a no-show job while she attended law school in Detroit, even though her job was in Washington, D.C. We had no less than three sources bring that to us from the office where she worked. He knows who she is. I know who she is. Congress knows who she is. I hope they hold him to account. Let's talk about this business insider piece. This is written by um, uh, Matthias Schwartz. It says, uh, for those of you who cannot see it, exclusive inside the extramarital affair and cash-fueled double life of Charles McGonagall, the FBI spy hunter charged with taking Russian money. So uh, the other piece that I sort of left out of that, that diagram is that there is a guy who is a Russian oligarch that is uh, apparently fueling all this stuff. They've got to actually substantiate that. But let's, uh, and, and his name is Derpaska, D-E-R-I-P-A-S-K-A. He's a Russian oligarch that's been sanctioned by the uh, by the United States. But uh, at the time that he was receiving the money, he actually wasn't sanctioned. So uh, really wild stuff. So this thing says, you know, something about 2017. We're talking about how he just took a bag of cash. Uh, something unusual. Allison Guerrero is the woman's name was uh, in Park Slope, which is where my wife's from. That's great. Good, funny stuff. Small world. Uh, Notice there was something unusual on the floor of her boyfriend's Park Slope apartment in Brooklyn, a bag full of cash. Next to it were his shoes and the futon kind of bag that liquor stores give out. Inside were bundles of bills, big denominations, bound up with rubber bands. It didn't seem like something he should be carrying around. After all, her boyfriend was Charles F. McGonagall, one of the most senior uh, FBI agents and and in one of the most sensitive positions. Uh, he claimed to her that he made a bet at the baseball game and won. Whoa. McGonagall has two high school-aged children and a wife, or an ex-wife, as he sometimes referred to her, who lived in Chevy Chase, Maryland. This is a, a common thread that we see in FBI agents that are doing this kind of stuff. They tend to go and um, have relationships in one place where they're working, but they leave their family somewhere else. So I'm not going to make allegations about it, but Chris Ray has his family down in Atlanta. You know, he lives up in D.C. He didn't move them up there for that. We had people that left the uh, Chicago field office. They went up to D.C. to be headquarters stuff. They were running around with their special agent, uh, or their special assistants who are also special agents. So this is a common thing in the Bureau, hence the sex BI piece. This is is not shocking to me in the least other than like the guy accepted a bunch of money from an Albanian intelligence officer. That's pretty wild. Um, All this is to say that our FBI is pretty corrupt. You guys already know this. If you're listening to my show, you understand that they have petty corruption in small ways. This is a big freaking deal. It's a big deal to me. It's a big problem. It's represented in when you have a if you have a conscience and some integrity and you want to stand up against something that's wrong, you're going to end up in a spot where you are going to be uh, against this this kind of animal that is willing to do this kind of awful um disreputable and really un-american activity so there's something to be said about having just a little bit of modicum of of uh, integrity we can't do that here it's not what we're dealing with uh you have an organization that the top is rotted and at the middle and the bottom has a bunch of people that are willing to just go along to get along it's pretty darn awful um I'm not going to belabor that any further. So many of you know this, but uh, 
I do think that Charles McGonagall is a wonderful example of how screwed up things can get. And when you have a culture that is not accountable, then uh, they can possibly sell our national security secrets because I want to know what comes out of this. I'm going to read you an OPR file. This is, uh, you know, we usually do the crime and punishment with our buddy Steve. Uh, but let's, let's go, go to this over here. This is coming right off his Twitter. This is number 56. And it just says a uh, unwell- unwelcome sexual contact, comma, rape. This is the OPR file of the day. Uh, just sent out probationary agent sexually assaulted an acquaintance while she was passed out or while she was sleeping following an afternoon of heavy drinking. The probationary employee also made an unwelcome sexual advance on the intoxicated coworker by groping her breasts under her shirt in aggravation. The probationary agent abused a position of trust because the victim uh, held him to a higher degree of trust, knowing that he was employed by the FBI, as you might expect. Um, the offense is felony code. Uh, 4.7, unwelcome sexual contact, offense code 5.2, and the penalty in this case was dismissal. Um, This individual was let go. How could you do otherwise? But uh, it's worth noting, these people are being hired, and if you listen to to Monday's podcast, you'll find out why Steve Gray thinks that is. I think it's worth noting that when somebody has been with the FBI between 1999 and 2022, they've got a pretty good window onto how things go down. So once again, uh, I do want to thank you. I'm going to jump onto a Twitter space right now. Thank you so much for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show. Uh, You help, please you know, like subscribe, share this stuff. If you want to check out some of our merch, we do actually have this silly little uh, website, which is actually the Kyle You can go there and you can get some of the suspendables gear. These are some of our, our funny, uh, you know, fan art that one of my buddies built. He's actually another whistleblower and I don't know who it benefits, but it benefits him and it might benefit uh, his family. There's not a lot of money made in these things. It's more like you just want to wear them because they're funny. It says the suspendables. It's got a, uh, it's got a, a little, Uh, mosquito on the back and those are kind of fun to see so uh, check out our merch if you want to wear a hoodie if you want to support us uh, i will probably be wearing one of those if i go and speak in front of congress you can imagine that i'm going to order a couple of up and we got a couple of people out there and everybody in this country could be a suspendable i'll just let you know if you draw the line in the sand and you refuse to accept tyranny in your own company in your own life uh, and if you refuse to accept it from your federal government that you pay for, then that makes you a suspendable because they will, in fact, come for you at some point. So get yourself ready. Get yourself hard in your heart. Get yourself hard in your mind. Prepare. Be your own first responder, as our buddy Mike Lever said for the theme of today. And um, be prepared to do the right thing for yourself because that's the right thing for this country. Again, thanks so much for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. I will see you guys on Monday, and I hope you join us for our interview with my new friend, Steve Gray. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.